I was not a beekeeper. I had no experience with it. And it changed my life to sit and watch the bees work and see that motion. There's something called fractal patterns. When you go to the shore and you watch the waves come and go, or you make a fire and you watch the flickers of the flame, or you watch snowflakes, knowing that each one is unique, but all of them are quite similar. There's something about that, these fractal patterns that are very calming to the spirit. And knowing that each bee is unique, but the hive is what's important, and it's constantly changing, but it's predictable. These are incredibly calming experiences. And then, of course, the honey screen. This is Rick Cook, the founding partner of Cook Fox Architects, and he's the architect behind Google's $2 billion New York building at the former St. John's Terminal. Cook Fox's whole ethos is based on integrating nature into our buildings, especially those buildings that can sometimes feel like the antithesis of a leafy park, our offices. I think in the late 90s, we had been addressing the issues of environmental responsibility, and we had the opportunity to work on a project called the Center for Wellbeing in East Hampton. And it really woke me up to the idea that architecture and design is about so much more than what we see, but it's about what we smell, what we touch, what we feel, even what we hear. So when you talk about sound, do you hear the birds chirping? When you talk about smell, do you smell off-gassing of chemicals or do you smell bread baking. When you talk about feel, are the materials tactile and beautiful? Do you get tactile feedback from your feet? Do you take your shoes off when you experience the space? All of these things connected us more. And then ultimately what this became about was connecting people with nature and under the general theory of biophilic design. Today on Working It with me, Isabel Berwick, we're talking offices. And if we want to get people back in them, what should they look like? Or as Rick Cook says, what should they feel like, smell like and sound like? Offices are at the centre of our workplace debate and I wanted to learn what's most important to people. I'm joined by Josh Chaffin, the FT's New York correspondent. Josh, welcome. And what office trends are you seeing at the moment in the States? Uh, so many trends. Bike rooms, fitness centres, concierge, dry cleaning... The supersizing of the kitchen into a really smart cafe. All the way on, I was talking to my friend Craig Deidelswag, who's the CEO of Mark's Realty, and, and they've been kind of at the forefront of a lot of this stuff. He tells me that bar carts and gelato lounges are now very hot. So you can see that the kind of arms race for amenities is ongoing. So the gourmet ice cream sundaes will be on our desks by the time the temperatures go up. Although I came into the FT Bureau today, and on our kind of central island, I found an old newspaper and a rotten banana. So we <laughs> apparently still have some ways to go. <laughs> and I guess today when we're talking to Rick, he's talking about biophilic design. And you've written about that. And that's taking the notion of how offices are configured and what they look like, smell like, sound like, etc. just one step further. Can you explain to the listeners a bit about what biophilic design is? Well, I think that the discussion began, at least in sort of the mainstream with the pandemic, about making sure that offices were safe and that people would feel like they could come back and that they wouldn't expose themselves to COVID or whatever else. So there was so much talk, you know, in the early days of this about having the very best air filtration and being able to sort of boast about that to 
tenant, but I think it has moved on from that, from safety to health. And the idea that the office shouldn't just be a place where you won't necessarily get sick, but a place that actually makes you feel good, that has fresh air, that has natural light, that has windows that are actually open, that has outdoor space, that has gardens. And there is some research and science that substantiates this, that these things have the capacity to improve productivity, improve how you feel. But I know that various developers are in the midst of looking to do a lot more to actually be able to tell their tenants and prospective tenants that the super fancy lighting that we've installed that changes throughout the day and kind of minimal increments is actually going to improve your employees' productivity by X or improve their health or the way they feel. So it's become much more sophisticated. And I believe it's also fundamentally important for the world, not just quality of life at the workplace, but quality of life on planet Earth. When we fall in love with something, let's call it nature, we're more careful to protect it, that thing we're in love with. So getting people to literally fall in love with being in nature, to watch bees do their work, to watch praying mantis lay their egg cases and connect to that in your workplace, not just something you do on the weekends when you go for a walk in the country. And I wanted to ask, what are any small changes you can suggest for managers in existing workplaces? You know, most of us have grey carpets and aircon. What, what, is there anything we can do? Well, I think that having exposure to multiple daylight exposures is fundamentally important, meaning the color temperature of morning light wakes you up and the color temperature of the setting sun is set to shut your brain down and get ready for the evening. So I think having multiple daylight exposures is important. So that's one. The other one, of course, is air filtration. And all of these things are available as consumer products, not just the big, scary system of the office building we're in, but there's consumer products where you can do it in your room also. So you can get better quality air now than we ever have before. So that's a simple thing we can do. The rest of the health and wellness components are about if you don't have a terrace, if you're near a park, Try to get outside and uh, take a walk in the park. These are ancient concepts that we know that people feel good when they feel connected to nature. Japanese have a word for it called shinrin-yoku, which is translated to the English as forest bathing, and that you bathe yourself in nature, and it's a way to reduce stress. We've always had things like dialogue walks. It's one of the reasons why staircases with large landings is a way to go for a walk, stop and pause. And the interaction between two people is fundamentally different when you're walking. There's more of a pause period and there's a dynamic quality to it that I find opens up more creative expression. So Josh, I'm delighted that Rick has praying mantis in his office space. I find that slightly alarming, a bit like that English government minister who had a large tarantula in his office. So I think one can perhaps have too much nature and some of the kind of stuff around Japanese forest bathing, I'm not sure that's really mainstream enough for me. I mean, do you think there's a sort of optimum amount of outside world we can bring into the office? I'm really undecided about this. 
I toggle between being excited about all this stuff and thinking that it's true and it's going to revolutionize work. And then part of me just thinks it's still work and it's an office and they pay you to come in and do it. And that's why you do it. So my skeptical side sometimes carries the day. But I think about half of the New York working population is going back to the office now, according to the most recent statistics. And I think the next year or so, if we don't get another surge of COVID cases, will be really interesting to see which way this goes and how this develops. Some people, the inconvenience of going to work is so great that whatever you do at the office, I don't think it'll make that much of a difference. And for other people, I think that's not the case. I saw a survey recently that said sitting is the new smoking. So some of this stuff about walking around offices and creating spaces where we can walk, it seems quite obvious, but I never thought of it like that before. I do everything better, I think, when I'm walking, especially writing. But I feel like taking a break to go for a walk is really helpful, whether it's in the office or getting outside. And I know in the old FT office was near Borough Market, and that was always nice to go for a quick stroll through the market or over to the Tate or near the Tate just for a few minutes to kind of clear your head. So I think it's a tremendous benefit, whether it's part of the office or just near the office. Yeah, I'm really interested in the way that these kind of natural perks or natural looking perks, maybe the beehives on the roof, that kind of stuff, might be replacing the ping pong table or the coffee machine. I just think it's sort of, it's it's almost like a mind shift. Do you think it's trickled down into ordinary offices yet? You know, it's funny you mentioned the ping pong table because in the earlier waves of this, that was one of sort of the iconic amenities. And I think it was somewhat random when companies were trying amenities in earlier days. And I would often go tour buildings and people would point to like a basketball court or the ping pong table. There was one, it was actually a real estate company and they were showing me their wall of candy, you know, where, (laughs) except I always noticed that there was never anybody there. So, you know, I think they were sort of trying these things out and it wasn't at all clear that people were using them. And it's funny because there's actually an office directly across the street from us at the FT Bureau in New York. They have a ping pong table and you can actually see a lot of people playing ping pong. So I was going to discount ping pong, but I guess some people are still going for the ping pong table. But there is a lot more thought now about which amenities people actually use and which ones they don't. And I think there's also a lot of talk about which this kind of feeds into, and that is having hotel-like hospitality experts running these buildings and curating them and creating the sense that you're not in an office building, but that you're in a boutique hotel or a club like Soho House. And they're offering various amenities, but also having parties and lectures and all kinds of social things that they're putting on. Oh, that's interesting. I was in a boutique hotel in London at the weekend and it's absolutely full of greenery and parties. We were kept awake most of the night. So so I think the blurring is really interesting. And in fact, I was reading a McKinsey report that was from last year, I think, but it surveyed nearly 3,000 people. And a third of them who'd gone back to the office said it had negatively affected their mental health. I think mm. this was in the US. So anything I think that can be done to make people feel better about getting back to the office has got to be a good thing. But at this shift to making things feel good 
for our mental health and well-being, I think that's really quite new, isn't it? I mean, there's been these sort of external productivity-based perks, but there's something much more, I don't know, hard to grapple with if it's just some amazing greenery and some offices have kind of like a living wall, that kind of thing, don't they? Yeah, that's sort of like the lowest level, I guess I would say, of this new biophilia. But it's interesting, to your point, with this focus previously on productivity or on saving money and kind of cramming as many people into a small space as you could, it's almost amazing that it's taken this long for people to really think about the worker first and put the worker at the center of the discussion and, you know, what would Isabel really like? And I I don't know that they've figured it out for all of the activity. And I think there's a sense that workers are also different and different people want different things. So if you're in your 20s, a party that the building is throwing might be appealing. For me, I just want to get home and see my kids or pick them up from soccer practice or whatever else. So I think that sometimes there's still sort of mundane things like the commute that ultimately might be more important to some workers than the office. And I know Bloomberg pay their workers, they reimburse them for their commuting. So that's not sort of fancy or sexy, but it might be really appealing to certain people. Yeah, I think the commute's been shown in survey after survey, hasn't it, to be the biggest disincentive to getting back to the office, however alluring the office is when you get there. If you have to go through the subway or Penn Station in New York, it doesn't really matter to me if they have like a free omelette or whatever (laughs) once you arrive, but, you know. So Rick's all about the physical spaces changing. I think we haven't really started to rethink this. I've seen some fun things of sort of inflatable, I don't know if you've seen that video of inflatable walls going up between desks to try to help people get a bit of peace. I mean, Ooh, that sounds fun. But I think people want spaces where they can be alone. And whether that's on the roof with the beehives or in a tiny pod on your own, I think the physical layout of offices has got to change really rapidly and it sort of hasn't yet. I've been searching around for stats on this, and it doesn't seem like many existing offices have been reconfigured. Is that what you're coming across too? I think so. I think there are some interesting, exciting new buildings in the works here, and it'll be great to see what they actually look like at the end of the day. But the sense is that it's going to require more space, or it may well, not less, because people will want their own personal quiet space where they can work, but also want these wonderful places where they can collaborate. I got an inquiry from Savills who wanted me to talk to an expert they have who is apparently skilled at bringing introverts back to work. And so we're now talking about all different types of people in the office population, and companies might need to adjust their approach for each one of them. So Apparently, you have to take a different approach with the introverts to lure them back to, say, I don't know, whoever else, the passive aggressive or the narcissists or what have you. So it's becoming ever more specialized. That doesn't surprise me at all. That's really interesting. So there's the when different people come into the office and also the where they work so that you configure the office in different ways. So the provision of small, quiet spaces has become quite a hot ticket in changing office layouts for introverts, also for neurodiverse people, and also maybe for people who are 
not used to being in a, a noisy room. I'm, I'm pretty loud and I enjoy the company of others. But I quite often run away to a very deserted bit of the FT, which is in fact where the studio is. In fact, uh. I, dis- I discovered a ping pong table down here. So Josh, <laughs> we've got one. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you hide under the ping pong table and find that's, the, that's your that's safe my space, space to work. That's my happy place. What's fascinating talking to Rick and thinking about biophilia and the idea of nature in the office is that it sparks off a whole new debate about how we think about our office and how we think about working in them. And maybe we don't have to wait for our employers to put forests or beehives on the roof. We can make those small changes ourselves and decide what's right for us as individuals, find our own special place in the office, get out into parks more. That's what I've been doing with my team in the pandemic and we'd never done it before, but we will continue to do it because it makes us more productive and we have a great day out. So I think the nature debate is something that can spark other debates. It's not the end of the conversation, but it's a part of what makes offices good. And if we get free ice cream, that's great. But we're only just at the beginning, I think, of getting people back into offices and thinking about what it is we want from our workspaces. And talking to Rick and Josh has really helped me clarify where we are now in the spring of 2022. Thanks to Rick Cook and Josh Chaffin for this episode. Please do get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. We're at workingit at ft.com or I'm at Isabel Berwick on Twitter. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening and are an FT subscriber, please sign up for our brand new Working It newsletter at ft.com slash newsletters. Working It is produced by Novel for the Financial Times. Thanks to the producer Anna Sinfield and executive producer Joe Wheeler. And from the FT, we have editorial direction from Renee Kaplan and Manuela Saragossa and production support from Persis Love. Thanks for listening.